XYZ, Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals, is brought to you by the Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood. Hi, friends. We are so excited you're here, and we can't wait for you to listen to this very special episode. We had the privilege to sit down and share space with the amazing Yvette Sanchez-Fuentes. Yvette currently serves as the Vice President of National Policy at Start Early and previously held the position of Associate Secretary with the Delaware Department of Education. She's done extensive work in the field, including having former positions as Deputy Chief for Policy and Research at Child Care Aware of America, President of the National Alliance for Hispanic Families, and Director of the Federal Office of Head Start within the Department of Health and Human Services. She has truly dedicated her professional career to understanding how policy, research, and implementation can impact lifelong outcomes for young children and their families struggling with adversities that include low-income families, migrant and seasonal farm workers, immigrant communities, American Indian and Alaska Natives, as well as dual language learners. We loved speaking with Yvette and are so appreciative of this meaningful conversation we got to have with her. And we are so excited for you to listen. Here's Yvette Sanchez-Fuentes. Fear not, here we go. (laughs) We like to kind of ease into things with just some fun, light and easy, cotton candy, fluffy icebreaker questions. And so we have a couple for you tonight. And the first is, what is your favorite season and why? I feel like I'm like speed dating. It's like The Bachelor. What is your favorite season and why? My favorite season is summer, believe it or not. It gets very hot in Maryland and very humid. But we, my family... We are responsible for our community swim team. And so our summer is like primarily taken up with that. And I love it because it's a way for the kids and the community neighbors to just come together. And you end up meeting all kinds of people who live in your neighborhood that you didn't even know. But you also like get to see kids grow up from when they're like little littles from like three and four to like 18 and graduate. Oh my so. gosh, that's so awesome. So I was going to say, oh, it's just like being a family child care. Yeah, being in family child care. Now, Yvette, you had, did you have experience with family child care as well? I did. So in my, I would say my second job in early childhood, I took a position as a family child care specialist is what we called it in a migrant and seasonal program out in California. And My boss at the time had this vision that he wanted to serve infants and toddlers in homes because 
that's what our farm worker families were telling us. Like they wanted to drop their babies off with their, you know, their vecina, their tia, their abuelita, whoever, but they needed to do it in a way that, you know, would sustain them. Like they couldn't pay a lot for childcare. So we got together and we came up with this plan to have all of these women trained who wanted to do it. They wanted to come out from working in the fields and they got licensed, right, in California. And then we taught them the Head Start performance standards. And then we worked with them to build out their homes so that it was still homey, but they were meeting the standards at the same time. And so we started with eight providers. And when I left there three or four years into it, we ended up with more than 120 providers in nine counties across California. And that program, is what actually propelled the Office of Head Start, which at that time was still the Head Start Bureau, to start with the family child care regulations in Head Start. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. So, yeah. Miss Miss Policy. So right. So now you are so the vice president, and correct me if I'm wrong, of a national policy for start early. So like did these the beginnings kind of where you came from kind of lead to where you are now or kind of tell us about that? So I think that that it's a really funny story and it's an interesting journey because I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I sort of never really expected to do what I'm, what I'm doing. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I really actually didn't even think I was going to go to college. And I had this counselor, high school counselor, who basically said, you need, you need to go to college, but first you need to apply for this internship in Washington, DC. And I was like, what? Like, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> um, and he's like, you just need to do it. And so I applied for this inter- internship with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus and I got accepted. And so when I graduated from high school, I got on a plane <laughs> to Washington, DC. I'd never been on a plane before and came and spent the summer and the fall in DC interning on Capitol Hill. And yeah. And so I always tell people like, you really, you don't always know what you can do, but you should really like pay attention to what others are telling you because sometimes people see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Right. And so I went to do that. And then I came back to California, went to college, thought I was going to be a teacher and did go and work as a teacher for a couple of years in East LA and decided I wasn't going to do that. And so then I got this job at the Migrant and Seasonal Head Start program. And then there again, my boss, (laughs) a couple of years into it, basically said, there's this Head Start fellowship, you need to apply for it. And I'm like, no, I'm so happy where I'm at. Like, no, 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 no. And he's like, no, you're going to apply for it. And I did, I applied for it, I got accepted. And then I moved to, and I came to DC and that must've been like, I don't know, the mid nineties and spent a year in what was then the Head Start Bureau. And then after that, it sort of was one, one thing after another, I guess. Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. What a great story. I love to hear where people come from and how, you know, how they get their start. That's absolutely amazing. I think it's always amazing because I think it's, again, like it's always the people around you, right? Like you don't, even if you really have to push through some obstacles, like there are still always people around you who I think support you or push you to do something, right? And I often tell people, 
had my grandmother not said, you're going to get on that plane and you're going to go like, I don't know if I would have gotten on that plane. And we could be having a totally different conversation or be in a totally different place. So yeah, so I, you know, always try to like pass that forward and look for the ways that I can support people as they're coming up in their careers or whatever their journey is. Yeah, that's great. Sometimes we just need that little push. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was just going to ask you, Yvette, if you have found yourself kind of in that reverse position and you just, you just answered and said, yes, you've kind of mentored other young people as they've come up in their careers. And do you have any moments that really stand out to you that like you see those people now who you kind of helped push them along and you just think, you know, wow, I'm so glad that they listened to me and got on that plane or applied to that internship. Yeah. So I have one person specifically. So when I was appointed to serve as the director of the office of Head Start during the Obama administration, I was able to bring a few folks into the administration to help to help serve and and to help implement the program and the policies. And there had been one person who I had never met, but she was the it, like executive assistant for a CEO of a migrant and seasonal Head Start grantee. And I was before going into the Obama administration, I was the executive director of the Migrant and Seasonal Head Start Association. So I had a lot of, of contact with this individual. And when I went in, I knew that I was going to need somebody who I could trust, who I knew was well organized, who I knew had good time management skills, who I knew could just come in and really take over, help us get organized, help us push policies. And so I called her one day and I was like, hey, do you want to come and work for me and come into the administration and move to Washington, D.C.? We'd never met physically. Like we had just had phone calls. There wasn't a lot of Zoom back then, even back then. And that's only been like, I don't know, what, 2008? And she was like, what? Uh, and I was like, yes. I'm like, I just have this gut feeling that this would be the ideal place for you. And I think that we would make an amazing team. And so she agreed. And so she came and she spent six years with me we were both working and today she's still in this area when when i left the administration she was able to apply for a position and sort of continued inside but then at the same time she started going to school so like she's recently finished law school she's now a gs15 in the federal government she's about to get married and so she just like did that on a whim right like she totally trusted me that it was going to be okay but then I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's give it a try. Like, let's see what happens. And so, and we did, and it's worked out great. That is um, incredible. So I'm so happy for her. Yeah. And I, now do you still talk to her? Or are you we still? Do. Yeah, we're still in contact and um, she was great. And le- she learned so much. I think she learned, I mean, I learned a lot too from our time there, but I think she learned a lot too about what she was capable of. And so I think for me, that was the, that was the most important piece. Oh my gosh. So I wanted to bring up the Obama administration because I was just, I was like, oh, I know she did that. That's amazing. So, I mean, what was that like? And yeah. like, what types of things did you do in that role? So it was great. It was a lot of hard work, like really, really hard work. And so when we came in in 2008, Head Start had just been reauthorized in, in 2007. So 
a major part of, of my job and, and everybody who was there at the time was to now implement that reauthorization. And one of the big things I'll just mention is that that reauthorization included the designation renewal system and the introduction of, of class as a tool, right? So we spent a lot of our time hearing from grantees, hearing from stakeholders about what that process should look like. And then ultimately we wrote the rules, we put it out there. I went and talked to a lot of people, both people who were excited and also very, very angry because it was the first time that the system was changing completely. So grants were now going to be five years. You could end up going into a competition process like that had never happened in the history of the program. And now we had this measure, this tool, right? That was measuring child adult interactions, which I thought was just so, so important to like taking us to the next level in the field. But there were a lot of feelings, right? There's a lot of feelings and you have to deal with that. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And so I think, and then the other thing I will mention too, is that we also sort of created the national centers. But the thing I'll say about the national centers is that we created the parent family community engagement center. In the past, TA had really been focused around like curriculum and child development, right? And I think we all know like one of the core values of Head Start is parents as a child's first teacher. And so just kept thinking like, why did we not have a center on like family engagement? And so we created that center, which I'm really happy like is still going. So I think we got a lot of really good work out of that. And I think that we showed grantees that like, it's not just about checking a box, but it's really about it's everybody's responsibility to take care of our kids and our programs and in our communities, right? Everybody from like the bus driver to the janitor, to the cook, to the person who's coming to fix whatever happened in the yard, right? Like we're all responsible for how well our, our kids are doing. So that was a really exciting time. It was a really busy time and it was really hard work, but I don't regret it. And it was an amazing opportunity. Oh my gosh. And you've accomplished so much. And <laughs> so, and like that, the piece, you know, the family piece is always so huge. And yeah, and, and you're, you're right. right. Like even, even in our work, you know, we, we try and stress how important the family is. And yeah. I just kind of feel like it's never emphasized enough. Yeah. And so in your current role, I'm sure you have policies around family involvement and things. Could you kind of tell us some about that? So yeah, I would love to talk about this and I'll talk about it in the context of policy, right? Because I think often what happens is that as national policymakers or even as like state policymakers, we have a lot of ideas about what we think is gonna work when we wanna change legislative policy or regulations or, or guidance. And so at Start Early, one of the things that we're really focusing on is as we're deciding what our policy priorities are gonna be, is we're gonna make sure that we're having intensive, intentional stakeholder engagement. And that doesn't mean just like reaching out, you know, to Meg and Irene and being like, hey, what do you think about this? Give me your feedback. But then actually like when we write it up, we're gonna send it back to you so that you can tell us like, did we get it right? Did we like forget something? Should we not? Should we be doing something different? And so we're really, what's interesting about it, and I say this to people like as a policy person, where our priority is the engagement, not necessarily the policy, because we want to make sure that we're shifting power. So if we're going to say that we're going to co-create this agenda, that means that we have to give up some of our power in making decisions about what policies we're going to focus on. 
And we have to make sure that we're continuing, right? We're all about continuous quality improvement in early childhood. So we want to make sure that we are constantly having that continual feedback so that we're hearing from anybody who's giving us information, like, did we get it right? Or did, are we not representing what you said the way that you, you thought it was going to be? So that's our focus. And that's really different for me. But I have this amazing team of people who were like, wait, if you want to do something different, you got to like rethink this. And I have had a lot of conversations with them because initially I was like, guys, <laughs> but what if they say something that's like not on my list? And they're like, well, you need to decide, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it like this, or just do it in a vacuum and put what you want on it. And I was like, well, no, I don't want to do that. And so I had to make the hard decision of, okay, if I'm going to go forward with my team like this, then I have to be willing to give up my power. And so as a team, we decided, like, we're going to give up our power. And then we took it to the rest of the organization, right, to say, like, we all have our ideas. But if we're going to be true to what we're saying, like, we're going to be equitable, we want to be an anti-racist organization, and we want to make sure that the voice of parents and professionals is at the center, then we have to be serious about it. And we have to be genuine, right? Like, you can't just be like, give me your feedback. Thanks so much, which is a lot of what we've done, right? It's just a transaction. It's not really building a relationship, I don't think. And so anyway, it's taken a lot of conversations and searching, but I'm grateful for my team who has pushed me because I feel like I'm often pushing people. And so this time they're like, got to give up your power. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to let go. <laughs> so we that, did, right? So we're letting go. That letting go is, is such a hard thing. Just giving up, like you said, power and just giving up control. And just sounds like in your current role, it sounds like a really collaborative process, which like you're saying is, is something you, it doesn't seem like you, this is the first time you've kind of experienced this type of work that way. So that sounds amazing. And it sounds like you're making such a difference. And you even said, you know, you, you said the word relationship and you, you like you said, just collaborative and engagement. And it's kind of, it's not just one sided, you know, thank you so much. And laptop shuts or phone, phone clicks down and, you know, kind of going off of that, just in general, the field, can you speak a little bit about the importance of building those relationships, whether it's in the capacity of a role, like, like the one you're currently in, or like you said, the example of kind of it taking a village of, of not only parents and families, but everyone from people, you know, maintenance people to, to the bus driver, all the way to when the kids reach the, the provider, the teacher at school. Can you kind of talk a little bit about, I know that's very broad, but why you think relation, those relationships and building those relationships are, are so crucial? Yeah, so I will sort of put a policy slant on this because I think if you consider where the state of the field is now as it relates to federal policy, so we're coming off of Build Back Better, no Build Back Better, no really big investments into early care and education. And as I kind of think about what happened, 
one of the things that we need to do better as a field is build relationships with other sectors. So build relationships with the business sector, right? Go to the chamber of commerce, go to the, to the workforce, losing what they're called. It'll come back to me, but you know, sort of going to the, going to the business community, going to the faith community, going to the health community and educating and informing them on why early care and education and childcare is so important, right? And, but that, that takes time, right? That takes like multiple conversations and building trust and building the relationship so that eventually, hopefully, they'll take up the mantle of saying, this is a priority because if we don't take care of our kids, then families can't go to work. And, you know, who's going to like, who's going to go to school and do well and graduate and get a job and go to college and have a, you know, all, all of those things. And so the more that I sort of think about how do we get better at making sure that we're building a bigger tent is making sure that we're reaching out to those who would not normally seem like they would advocate for childcare and going out, meeting them, talking to them, informing them, and and framing it for them in a way that makes sense to them, right? And having a conversation about what are the questions that they have? Maybe they don't buy into it. So find out why they don't buy into it and then explain to them like why, why it's important. But all of that takes multiple conversations it takes building trust and it takes building the relationship so that as we try to plan for the future, as we think about policy at all levels, how do we like build that coalition of allies who are ready to stand up and say, this is a priority and we have to think about it in a different way. And you have to fund it like you have to fund it. Especially with what I do, like building relationships yeah. is so huge, right? So like you need to build that trust, build that relationship so that you can get everybody on board with you. And like, I love like, yeah, there's the policy piece, but you're just, you're inviting everybody, you're educating and just building it up so that, you know, they'll come on board, but not because there's a policy and you have to, but because you really believe in the why. Yeah. And I love that. And I think yeah. the why is so crucial. And especially with like our parents as well too, you know, I hear providers saying, well, the parents, da, 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 da. And I was like, well, you have to build that and you have to nurture that. Like you need to understand and, and you need to, you know, they don't understand what we do. Well, are you educating them on what you do? So I think that is just a huge part of it. And I, I just, I love it. I love everything about it. <laughs> awesome. Maybe you important. say something. It's the yeah, only it way is. that we move. It's, it's gotta be like, we do, we have to shift the way that we think about how we, engage in the advocacy and the policy piece. Mm -hmm. And whatever we've been doing so far, like mm, it's kind of working, but not really. So I, I do think like we just, we got to, we, we need to pivot and we need to start, start talking to more people who are outside of our own sector and build, build those relationships. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like they need to believe it. They need to believe in yes. it in order to do it. If not, then it's not worth it to them. You know? And I think yeah. we just, you know, and I think it's so great that you know, you're, you're building their capacity and their understanding of why it's important. Like we're building our future here. Let's invest. Right. I mean, yeah. that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all about meeting each other in the middle to kind of put ourselves in their shoes. And I think that kind of you're, ex you're kind of getting into the, your example of of, of how 
you know, in the field as a whole, in order to create that real lasting change, we need to really break out of our education ECE shell sector and really get out there and start talking to people, whether it's in health or, or, you know, the, the workforce to kind of make those relationships work. And so it made me think back to our conversation with, with the provider we spoke to last week. And it's just, it just all, it kind of brings it all back to just understanding each other. Yeah, for sure. So, so you told us about the importance of building relationships and partnerships in the field. So when you're not working, you mentioned grandkids, um, but <laughs> where, where else can we find you when they're not invading your home? <laughs> uh, where else? Can, um, you can find me out running. <laughs> oh, good for you. That's yeah. one of my bucket list items. I love to run and I love to cook. I love to cook with my husband. So you. we are... Yeah, we like to cook. So we try to do like big meals on the weekends. Uh, and then during the week, we definitely have our menu planned out. And actually for September, because like summer's so busy and you're eating all kinds of fast food, for September in our house, we made a deal like no takeout or going out to eat. And so Ooh. everything, everybody's eating at home. Everybody's making meals. We make salad. You know, we just have sort of everything so people can like easily access it. But yeah, we love to cook and we've been, and of course, right during the pandemic, like everybody took something up. And so we took that up. <laughs> oh, were you a good cook before and your husband uh, too, or did you kind of learn together? So my husband is an excellent cook. I will admit that I spent many years not cooking, um, <laughs> but I had the skills. Mm -hmm. I wasn't using them. Uh, so it took me a minute to get back into it. And one tidbit, which I'm sure like any good cook knows, is you have to have good knives. If you don't have good knives, it's miserable. Yes. So, it's yeah, like that's a big one. But otherwise, yeah, that's kind of what we do. And mm -hmm. I will admit, like, uh, we like to watch a lot, some t a lot of TV sometimes. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You can admit it. That's your free time. You can do whatever yeah. you want. So do you have like a, a favorite, do you like to cook Italian? Like a, I don't know, is it a food genre? I don't know. I know it's music. Um, genre, yeah, but is it we, um, yeah, we mostly, we will, we will, we'll cook primarily. We're really good at Mexican food and Puerto Rican food because I'm Mexican and my husband is Puerto Rican, but we have decided every week we try a new recipe. So we sort of bring, you know, we get like the magazines and stuff and then we'll take a recipe. But we've also instituted a new thing since our, since two of our older kids are living with us and then I have my niece here, everybody has to take a turn with dinner now. And so everybody, you know, is in charge of the dinner menu and we do the shopping and if they need help, then obviously we'll help them. But yeah. And so that's actually been really nice too, is getting yeah. your kids to cook. I know. So my husband's a much better cook than I. <laughs> so I just let him go for it. Yeah. If he says, what's for dinner? I go, I don't know. Did you take something out? <laughs> there you go. Whatever you're making. But I, I, I am Polish. So I do like the traditional pierogies yeah. and I do guamkis. So that's kind yeah. of like what I do. Like, yeah. I can't just cook out of my head. If I was unchopped and they gave me a basket, I just hand it back to them because yes. I'm, I'm not that good. <laughs> Yes. I, li I like the recipe. I like to be a little planful. Mm -hmm. My husband, I will admit, is a little more spontaneous, but yeah. I, I like the plan. So 
if he gets a little annoyed, but sometimes I'll go with it. I'll be like, okay, we're going with it. Yeah. I've had some faux pas. Like my husband's like, what is this? I go, well, I just tried to do something different. He goes, this is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's just going in the trash. Let's try again. Well, Uh, at least he tells you. So that's yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He definitely doesn't hold back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No cooking. I, I I, like when I'm in the mood, I enjoy cooking. Um, but I love that everybody does. My daughter is a big baker. So she's like, oh my gosh, but I'm like, I'm trying to lose weight. Stop cooking all these cookies. I go, you can only bake if you're going to eat it. Cause I don't, I'm like, yes. I admit, but I can't eat it. But I love that everybody takes turns in your house. That's it's amazing. Good. It's hey, good. well, if they're, if they're coming back in, they need to earn their keep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, I can't do it all y'all. So no. everybody, everybody helps out, which is nice. Yeah. Is there something that kind of going back to the TV thing is there something that is there a show that you and your husband kind of like you you watch it every week or maybe every night is there something that you've been kind of binging lately that you're obsessed with so lately we are watching season two of reservation dogs on hulu which is a native american story it's created by native americans and all of the actors are native americans and it's funny but it's also very just sweet and you sort of get to see these four these young people what life is like for them on the reservation but it's just it's a it's a really sort of nice mix of like humor and a little bit somber, um, but overall super entertaining. So we love that right now. Ooh, I'm going to try, it. Yeah, try always, it. Well, cause you know, I have kids, so they're always watching their shows. Yeah. So I don't really get to watch my show. I don't even know what it is. So I'm always looking for something. <laughs> I do. I do like to watch a cooking network. I definitely oh. like watching people cook. Yeah. But yeah. doing it, you know, and I love Halloween Wars. That's probably my favorite. Oh my God, me too. Do you love it? That is so funny. Oh, I, the pumpkins are amazing. And I love just the foods they create. Yes. Cakes, like just incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. They're coming it's out with a chainsaw. I know. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I just, I love watching that, but I don't, I don't think I would pursue that. No, no, I, I definitely hurt myself. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for me. <laughs> for sure. Oh gosh. Well, gosh, it's coming up on 720. And I think we will just wrap this up because you have okay. been awesome and you have given us so much of your time. So we completely sure. appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. This was so fun. And we'll let you know when it comes out. We'll send it your way. Yeah, thank you all. No, thank you all for thinking of me. You've done so much and and contributed so much to the field of early childhood. Just amazing. Thank you so much. Really quickly, one last bonus question before you go. <laughs> because the name of the podcast is XYZ, could you share with us what your why is and why it's your why? <laughs> so I think my my why is I I want kids and families and particularly Hispanic and Latino kids and families to get what they want, what they need, what they deserve, and to be able to just live a life of dignity and and respect in this country. And I think not that I like want to get like end on a bad note, but we're coming into a weekend where Puerto Rico has just been hit with another hurricane. The island is without power. 
we've seen migrant kids and families being used as pawns in this political landscape and being transported to places they don't even know without their knowledge. And the majority of those folks are Latino, Hispanic descent. And so for me, growing up on a border town, it's always been really important that people know the gifts and the things that like Latinos do in this country. I mean, when you go to California or Ohio <laughs> or Iowa or Idaho, and you see people picking food, like it's Mexicans, Filipinos, people of color who have come and are really fighting against the odds to try to make a better life for themselves. So I am a huge believer that that American dream is possible, but I think it's really important for people who can stand up to stand up and voice it and to, to call it out. And so for me, like my why is just making sure that people have the ability and the opportunity, right, to like have a life of dignity and respect and make their American dream come true, whatever that dream is. And so that's that's my why. And that's what I teach, try to teach my kids and my grandkids. And you always stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves for whatever reason. I think you're in a perfect position <laughs> right now. Um, yep. You're you're giving them a voice through, you know, getting those policies passed yeah. and, and helping them to achieve those goals. So that's, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. thanks, y'all. XYZ, Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals, is brought to you by the Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Delaware. Hosted by Irene Ash and Meg Keating. To learn more about the DIEC and our show, please visit our website at www.dieec.udel.edu. For additional information and to stay connected with us, follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood on Instagram at UD underscore D-I-E-E-C and on Twitter at D-I-E-E-C underscore U-D. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. Until next time.